Coming up on today's show, Brian Jean has won the Fort McMurray Laklavish by-election. We will speak with the new MLA today. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addresses Congress in the United States, and China has been asked to help by Russia. Will they? What would their motivation be, and what can they offer? We'll have that discussion. All right, Brian Jean, the new MLA for Fort McMurray Laklavish, a decisive victory yesterday. Call it two-thirds of the vote. And we are delighted that uh, Mr. Gene has time to join us this morning and talk about what happened. Uh, Mr. Gene, thank you for your time. appreciate you joining us. Please call me Brian, and thank you for the phone call. Uh, let's just start. I mean, your campaign, obvious question here, was focused almost entirely on Jason Kenney, right, and having him removed as leader of the party. Now, I, I don't know how the Premier will, will spin this result, but I'm sure he's going to try and have to characterize it as, you know, a win for the UCP party of which he is still the leader. But how do you see it? How do you see what happened last night? Two-thirds of the vote going to you, who campaigned uh, to remove the leader of the party. How do you see this mandate you were given last night? Well, I clearly see it a little bit differently. I'm, I don't think it's about Jason Kenney. I don't think it's about Brian Jean. It's about Albertans having the ability to renew the UCP. It's about stopping the NDP next year by starting the process of renewing the UCP right now, which is absolutely essential. So I think... I take the mandate as a clear mandate from the people to say it is time to renew the UCP and change the leadership, change the direction, and make sure that Albertans come along for the ride and feel like they can trust their government again. Um, now, the, of course, we have this leadership vote coming up uh, April 9th, and I see this morning you're tweeting out, you, right since last night, your focus has been getting as many people as possible to turn out to this leadership vote April 9th with the intention of removing Jason Kenney. That is your singular goal between now and then, right? Well, step three in a five-step process, but absolutely, uh, it's an essential step, just like last night was essential, and I thank the people of Fort McMurray-Lackledish for sending that message uh, to the Premier. Step five, uh, five-step process. Walk us through that. We're at step three. Uh, what, what was the process? <clears throat> well, actually, the first step was the nomination itself. Yeah. Um, we, ne- we needed to make sure that we got that done. Step two was last night. Step three is the the April 9th situation, and, and obviously it's extremely important. People can only buy membership and register for another three days. That's it. Three days, they have to go to unitedconservatives.com and register, and I understand now there might be difficulties with that uh, because of the nature of the volume on the website, so they're going to mail-in ballots. But whatever it takes, I think Albertans need to be involved in this process, and, and that's the third step, the April 9th uh, renewal at... Uh, at Red Deer. And then after that, of course, there is the leadership race, if there is one, and I'm hoping there is one, and then Albertans can decide who they think will be, make the next premier. And we've got nine months to reinvigorate and renew the UCP to go into step five, which is obviously to go before the people of Alberta and win their hearts and minds and trust and make sure that they recognize that the UCP is there for them and the leadership is going to do what the people want, not what the leadership wants. Okay, let's game out possible outcomes here on April 9th. Jason Kenney wins. Uh, he gets the vote that he wants, uh, whatever that number is. I'm not sure. It's, I mean, technically it's 50% plus one, but usually it needs to be much higher. But let's say he gets the mandate that UCP party says he needs to have to maintain. What's Brian Jean's next plan? Are you going to stay as part of this party now with the way this has gone? Well, that's the mandate from the people. Obviously, I'm going to have to do that. Um, that's absolutely essential. But but let's be clear. We've seen the number change from the party and the inner circle of Mr. Kenny from the high 60s down to now 50 plus one. Um, maybe we'll see it change again. Maybe we won't see him leave if he receives that mandate. I don't know what's going to happen. Those are all speculative uh, issues. What I do know is Albertans do not trust this government anymore. We've had 14, 15 months 
of steady trends in polling indicating that the NDP are going to win an overwhelming majority if Jason Kenney is not gone. And that's what my mandate is. That's what I believe the people of Alberta want. And that's what we're going to do on April 9th. I'm, I'm very convinced that if the people have the opportunity to buy a membership and register online and everything's up and up and trustworthy and honest, then we're going to have a mandate from the people that says, Jason Kenney, it's time to do what you know in your heart of hearts is the right thing to do. And that's resign and let the UCP reinvigorate itself, renew itself and come forward with somebody that can build a team, empower people that the Albertans will trust. You say somebody, but clearly you want the job. You've stated that. Absolutely, I want the job. I make good decisions. I'm not the fanciest talker in the, on the planet, but I make very good decisions, and my decisions are always centered on the people that matter, and the people that matter are Albertans. And um, frankly, I, I think decisions have been terribly made over the last three years. And just because you're a great talker does not make you a great decision maker. Uh, just to get back to it, I mean, and I understand you want to be leader, and, and you are very hopeful, and you're, you're quite convinced that Jason Kenney is going to lose on April the 9th. But the question I have again is... If he doesn't, if if whatever, if the party speaks, as you say, and says Jason Kenney is still our leader, are you capable of being part of that team? Or will this be another instance where Brian Jean decides to quit and go home? Listen, I was uh, part of Stephen Harper's team for 10 years before I quit and said enough is enough. We have to start listening and doing what Albertans want. Um, I left the federal politics after 10 years, and I left provincial politics after it was very clear to me that Jason Kenney did not want me there, and I was getting between my electorate and the people. And I had a lot of things to do. Um, you know, um, most people recognize that, you know, I just went through my house burning down, my son dying, then a flood, my mom dying, my sister dying, and I was their executor. I had a lot of personal things and a lot of life that I had to take care of. I'm back now. I'm back and I'm ready to deal with what I know Albertans want me to deal with, and that is their priorities, not my own. But I had to take that break. Now, will yeah. I stay? You know what? Work for Jason Kenney. That's what people keep forgetting. He's the leader of the party, but he's not my boss. My boss is Albertans, and I'm going to do what they say. And if Jason Kenney does not get on the right track, I will do whatever my bosses say, and that is to get Alberta on the right track. Jason Kenney is not the man to do that. He is not the person to do that, and he has shown that. But on the reverse side, I've shown after over two years as a leader of the opposition, someone that is committed to Albertans, somebody that makes the right decisions, good decisions, and somebody that it will selflessly put their job on the line for the best results for Albertans. That's what I am. You mentioned your bosses and the best results for Albertans. We're facing um, record inflation, or at least inflation we haven't seen in decades, cost of living going through the roof, energy prices through the roof. Uh, we still have a pandemic hanging around causing problems. There's lots of issues facing the Albertans that elected you last night. Can you do that job? Can you represent those Albertans and set aside the palace intrigue and the party bickering and fighting, which seems to have consumed you and the UCP party for the last several months? Can you do the job that Albertans need you to do? Listen, we've got to this place today because of a failure of leadership, a failure on the provincial level and a failure on the federal level. Inflation, uh, joblessness, people's priorities, infringements on rights, all of these things are important decisions. People that make good decisions should be in the places to make those decisions, not people that are fancy talkers and bad decision makers that want to play politics. I'm not playing politics. I'm not taking personal shots at Jason Kenney. I just don't think he's making good decisions, and people are suffering as a result of it. We need to change that. I'm going to put myself, and I have put myself, in front of the people of Alberta one more time and say, folks, you know my track record. You know I stand for you. You know I work hard. I stand honest and accountable. And you've seen it before. You know you can trust me. 
So let me take a hold of this. I'm a business person by trade. I'm a, a litigator by trade. Uh, I know that I make good decisions. I know how to do that. It's called leadership. You empower other people and you bring people along with you. And that's what good leadership is about, is making sure that people believe in you, trust in you, and know you're making the decisions for the right reasons. Uh, Mr. Gene, I really appreciate your time this morning, and I look forward to uh, following this as it goes along, and we'll chat again, sir. Thank you very much. For sure. And please call me Brian. I'm, uh, I, I know I'm a little old, but I'm not that old. And, <laughs> you know, I will tell you, this reinvigorates me because I think Alberta has never needed um, people in leadership positions more than they need people right now. And please, if you've got an opportunity to get out and to buy a membership, register in the next three days. You've only got three days left. Meet me April 9th. Let's reinvigorate the UCP and get Alberta back on track. April 9th, Red Deer, be there. The only way to get Alberta back on track, according to Brian, is to get rid of Jason Kenney, right? Just so we're clear. No, we have to renew and reinvigorate the UCP, and that's that's one of those things that are necessary in gotcha. the UCP for certain. Okay. Yeah. Brian, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Take care. That is Brian Jean, the new MLA for Fort McMurray, Lacklebish. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, addressed Parliament in our country yesterday, and this morning he addressed a joint session of the United States Congress. And a slightly different, well, not a slightly different tone, a fairly dramatically different tone. He seemed to expand um, the topics he was on and sort of the tone and uh, the scope of the situation and how he feels it's affecting us globally, um, perhaps more so than he did when he was speaking with uh, Parliament in this country. He was talking about how things are are much, much different, saying in this instance, Ukraine is not fighting just for Ukraine. They're fighting for the whole world. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine. We are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. Part of his presentation today featured a a very graphic video, which showed some of the bombing, some of the dead and the wounded, and he asked Americans to help in imposing a no-fly zone over his country to stop the Russian bombing. He wrapped up his speech in English. As the leader of my nation, I'm addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Thank you. Slava Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. So, yeah, once again, asking for a no-fly zone, which so far uh, President Joe Biden has refused to do, saying that would mean World War III with Russia. The same message this morning from uh, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, saying we've had to make some difficult decisions as a country, and that's one of them. Um, So let's get some insight on the speech itself and and the impact that it might have. We're going to chat with Matt Lebo, who is Department Chair and Professor of Political Science at Western University, with a focus on politics in the United States and Congress in particular. Matt, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. You're welcome. Uh, The tone of this speech, I was struck by the fact that um, it was much 
broader, and I, I'm not sure how to describe it, but it, it was talking more about the world and how the United States is sort of the leader of the world, and they need to act on behalf of the world, because right now Ukraine's fighting for the world. It was, it was very large in scale, I guess. Yeah, I agree. You know, the United States obviously is a much bigger economic power and a much, much bigger military power compared to Canada or uh, European countries. And so he was pointedly asking for uh, leadership from the United States to push um, all of the U.S. Uh, allies to to take on similar actions for the U.S. to lead by example. Uh, there were a number of things that he he was asking for, um, uh, starting with the no-fly yeah. uh, zone, but then sort of a list of things, since he knows that the answer to that is no, at least for now. Um, we'll get to his list of requests in a moment. First of all, though, I thought it was really interesting how he sort of brought up a couple of the major incidents that led to world wars or at least conflict for the United States. He mentioned Pearl Harbor and September 11th, saying, remember Pearl Harbor, remember September 11th, our countries are experiencing the same thing every day right now. I imagine that would be a powerful message to all Americans. I think so, and I think both of those... those um uh, historic situations involved, you know, the United States sort of sitting back and staying out of conflict until conflict came to them. And right. so while the U.S. is, is working hard now to, uh, you know, to help uh, Ukraine, but to be careful not to step over some line that would, that would start World War III, uh, there might be hints there, you know, that, that this conflict is coming to the United States and, and um, they might want to be more proactive than just wait for it. Um, and as you say, the no-fly zone, that's, that's the leading request all the time. But like you say, I think the understanding has been made very clear that that's just a non-starter. It's not going to happen. So he did say, if that's too much, what about this? He does have other things that he's now pivoted to, right? So the top of the list is, is more defensive weapons. And today, um, President Biden announced $800 million uh, more worth of um, defensive weapons. And, you know, these are the things that get announced. We don't know what else might, uh, might be happening. He asked for increased sanctions. He asked for American companies. And he, he talk, was talking, you know, to Congress, and he's telling members of Congress and senators, talk to the companies in your state. Talk to them about, you know, um, uh, pulling their contracts with, uh, uh, with Russia. Make sure that you're not accepting shipments from Russia. Uh, any way that American companies are putting money into Russian hands that is being used to uh, invade uh, and hurt uh, Ukraine, he's, he's challenging um, uh, the American Congress to, to put pressure to make that happen. And just stop that money. Yeah. And just reading some of the reaction from, um, you know, uh, Congress people and, and senators and the like following the speech, it sounds like he's incredibly effective. Like Majority Whip Dick Durbin said, I'm on board with a blank check on sanctions. Just do whatever we can do in order to stop this Russian advance. This is one thing when it seemed like nothing could possibly unite the United States Congress. This seems to have done a pretty good job. And it looks like Zelensky uh, just furthered that this morning. Yeah, and this is this is part of what's been really interesting over the last uh, few weeks since the yes. State of the Union is to see Republicans' reactions to it, and so Republicans are are, are trying to do you know sort of a careful dance. They they are rallying um, a little bit behind the president. They certainly are on the same side. Most of them are on the same side as President Biden in terms of seeing Putin as uh, the, the the enemy here and uh, helping Ukraine, which is really the victim, and. So there's there's a lot of that going on, and then there's you know sort of uh, swipes taken at President Biden because when this is over, somehow the the Republicans will have to make it uh, you know some some part of their election issues 
that whatever, whatever however this ends up, yeah. it could have gone better if only Biden had done X, Y, and Z. And so they're they're sort of putting out feelers now that they come can come back and say, aha, you should have listened to us, and, and look what happened. Yeah, uh, no doubt, of course. Um, just your overall take on what Zelensky said to Congress today and uh, just, just what he's been doing with these addresses, they're really quite remarkable. Um, th- there's just so many ways that, that in you know, an interconnected, interconnected world and economy that Russia's involved with other countries. And he's just being very smart about attacking every one of those connections that he can and putting economic pressure and military pressure on uh, Russia to stop and to, to pull back and, and, or to negotiate um, a ceasefire or, or whatever. There's just, you know, these, these economic levers that I think uh, Putin didn't think we're going to be put into place. Uh, Zelensky is very deliberately yeah. challenging all these countries to to put them in play. And uh, it's enormous pressure on the Russian economy and the Russian people and then the government. Um, the question, I guess, is, is there more that can be done? Uh, when, you, when he makes these appeal to, to Canada yesterday and to United States today, short of a no-fly zone, is there more that can be done? I mean, will he tip them into another category that we don't know about yet? I guess more and more defensive weapons, um, that's, that's a start. Yeah. More aid for uh, refugees and helping refugees and, and for um, uh, helping people who are still in Ukraine and, and need more help. Um, and stopping you know, every possible way that, that money is making its way into uh, Russian hands. And so, you know, some of the actions, you know, dealing with oligarchs and seizing yachts. I mean, these are they're they're not just symbolic. These are the you know they're 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 stealing assets or taking assets of people that are surrounding Putin, and right. they will be putting pressure on him. And so there's you know this this is coming from all directions that there there can't be too many people uh, telling Putin to to continue to ramp things up. Yeah, it's it's quite remarkable. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Sure, you're welcome. That is Matt Lebo. Matt is department chair and professor of political science at Western University. And, you know, I mean, say what you will. Um, you know, crises uh, create great leaders and, um, and legends in some cases. And I think that's the area we're getting into with Zelensky here. Uh, people talking, following his speech today, uh, Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech he invoked. Just, um, you know, last week he was, he was doing Shakespeare uh, Churchill, the the list goes on in terms of some absolutely remarkable moments in history um, being tied to what this guy is doing right now. And I was doing some reading about why he's doing this and the choice he faced when this all started. He had two choices, and you know what they were. The United States went to him and said, listen, we'll get you out of there. Come to the States, be safe, bring your family. And he said, no, I, I, I don't need that. I don't need, a, I don't need a flight out of here. The, the war is here. I need ammunition, right? And that was when this whole thing started with him. And then you see him walking the streets of Ukraine, and he's doing addresses daily on social media from wherever he is, sometimes his office, sometimes a bunker, sometimes walking through the streets of Kiev, even as it's being bombed. So he's taken this role. Why? Um, first of all, to lead his people, and I think he's doing an incredible job of that. But if you remember what Russia said about why this whole thing started, they said that this guy and his government were drug addicts and Nazis. So part of his job is to make sure that that narrative is countered each and every single day. And the best way for him to do that is to be on camera, to be front and center, clear-eyed, resolute, and leading his people through this crisis. And like him or not, 
And I don't know many people who don't like him at this point. He's done one hell of a job on that front. He really and truly has. Um, you know, whatever way this plays out, there will be statues of Volodymyr Zelensky all over Ukraine when this is said and done. There's no doubt about it. The man um, has really risen to the occasion, and I don't think a lot of people expected he would when this started. He was a comedian. Now, I know he's got a law degree, but whatever. He's never been a lawyer. He's been a comedian, an actor on television, and a good one by the sounds of it. Um, but uh, I don't know if a lot of people had the faith in him to to rise to the occasion the way that he has in this time of extreme crisis. But he's impressed a lot of people, and he'll continue to do what he's doing and uh, and try and rally support from around the world. Russia has reached out and asked China to help with their ongoing struggles in Ukraine. Now, if China were to ride to Russia's aid, there is no question things take on a much different and far more dangerous tone. But how realistic is that? What are the options available and what might we see happen between these two countries? And joining us to talk about this, we have Gordon Holden who uh, is, I I think, the best guest on anything to do with China. He's Director Emeritus of the China Institute, Professor of Political Science, and Adjunct Professor at the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. Uh, Gordon, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time again. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Shay. So when we take a look at this, now, if China does have an interest in assisting Russia, first of all, do they? Is it to their benefit? And if so, why? Well, I think that they, they will assist and are assisting Russia to some extent. But I don't think that's likely to include weaponry or some any sort of a direct Chinese involvement in the Ukraine campaign, which has not been going very smoothly for, uh, for Russia at all. Uh, China has a pretty cautious approach to military conflict. They have established a whole network of, of bases in the South China Sea, but you don't see half a dozen countries being invaded by Chinese troops. Mm -hmm. Uh, They tend to hold back, and I think that is the case here. I think they did not expect such an ambitious attack by Putin. They may have had a clue that things were coming. Putin was in uh, Beijing at the start of the Olympics, may have held off until the Olympics were over, but I think China is nervous about this campaign becoming even bigger. Um, If you think they're helping and they are assisting Russia, how do you think they're doing that? Not militarily, like you say. Is it economic? I think it's economic. They provide an absolutely crucial market outlet for Russia, particularly for its energy resources and other raw materials, now that most of the West has sanctioned uh, Russia and is, in effect, blocking their their exports. China has not taken such actions and, and will not, in my view. So it's absolutely crucial. Plus, as well, there is some indication that uh, China will provide some financial assistance, not in terms of aid, but more in the sense of uh, ability to trade. Right. Because with Russia now blocked from using the Western standard means of, of financial transactions, China is a imperfect but somewhat acceptable alternative. What's the motivation, Gordon? I mean, I wouldn't call them allies per se. I mean, I guess they're both sort of anti-West, perhaps. I'm not sure. What 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 would be the motivation for China sort of, in some ways, propping up Russia through all this? Well, I think you put your finger on one of the key elements. They both uh, view the United States and the West generally as uh, uh, adversaries. They are not allies in the sense that NATO would be allies. There's no commitment to come to the defense of the other. And historically... They have been adversaries. Uh, they've fought 
struggles even in the uh, late 60s over border issues. Um, China was afraid of the then very powerful Soviet Union. Um, and Russia itself, amongst the populace, China has a mixed mixed reputation. I think it's more a, a marriage of convenience. China likes the fact that they are now the dominant partner in the relationship. Russia surrounds the northern part of China. China doesn't want a um, an anti-China or Western-focused country there. And for the Russian side, as I mentioned, particularly now with this war, they really do need Chinese help, economic help. Um, and I've seen some reporting on this this week, and I wonder if you have any insight in terms of almost a tit-for-tat. Okay, we're going to come in and we're going to you know, support you economically or whatever the case may be, throw you that lifeline, but you're going to owe us. And you just mentioned how they surround China's north. The access to the Arctic will be taken in return by China. I mean, there will be some price to pay by Russia, will there not? Russia will be in a weakened position and not in a position, even if it prevails in, in Ukraine, and that's still an, an open question. You're right. They will be in a difficult position and not in a position to, uh, to drive hard bargains. Maybe it come out partly in energy pricing, where China will get more favorable uh, pricing. It could be, as you suggest, in terms of Arctic access, a melting Arctic. There already been a few Chinese ships that have sailed along that northern route. China may want to um, work in terms of developing uh, port facilities on the Arctic. Uh, Russia will be not in a strong position to bargain. Um, now, there's a lot of people saying, you know what, China is watching this very, very carefully as it plays into their designs on Taiwan. And uh, this is a good sort of trial run for them to see how the West responds to a situation like this. Do you put any stock in that? Is that still something that's on China's radar? It's always there, in my view, in the background. China's been very careful not to make any uh, overt linkages publicly vis-a-vis the current situation. But I think they have to be looking at a few things. And one of the things seems to be that if you invade a country where there's no NATO linkages or defense treaties, and that would be the case for Taiwan, because of your nuclear capacity, the West is not going to, to be willing to intervene and, and combat directly with Chinese forces. So, I mean, that's one of the lessons. Yes, um, arms are being provided to the, the Ukrainians, but uh, not, not Western armies, air forces directly intervening. That may be a bit of a lesson for China as well. In other words, if we should invade Taiwan, um, they may... They, the West, may assist the Taiwanese, but we won't have to deal with American troops per se. Um, that's that could be one Chinese conclusion from this campaign. Um, last one, and then I'll let you go. We know that China has uh, a lot of influence and um, and a lot of power on the Western world. We're sort of reticent to act in many ways. Um, if we see them assisting Russia, maybe in violation of sanctions or whatever the case may be, but if the, we can prove that they are actually stepping in on behalf of Russia in some capacity, do you expect a response from the West, or are we going to turn a blind eye? Well, the National Security um, uh, Director Sullivan has said, in effect, when he revealed that uh, Russia had asked for Chinese arms, said, look, if you do this, China, there will be consequences. So we will see. China doesn't want sanctions upon its economy. That's its priority right now. So I think they're going to be cautious, but you're, you're right. If they do start intervening directly some fashion through assistance of military equipment, etc. I don't think it's likely, but if they do that, they should expect sanctions. Interesting times. Gordon, thank you so much. I always appreciate your insight. 
It's a pleasure, Shay. Thank you. Thank you. That is Gordon Holden. Gordon is Director Emeritus of the China Institute, Professor of Political Science and Adjunct Professor of the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. And I've been talking to Gordon about China for many, many years. And like I said earlier, I think if you want to sort of get a read on what's going on with China, um, you you can't do much better than Gordon with his analysis and his insight. He uh, He's the guy that I love to go to, so I appreciate him joining us today. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.